White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 668. 10, 9, 8, 7, ignition sequence started, all engines are started, we have ignition, 2, 1, 0, we have a liftoff, we have a liftoff and it's lighting up the area, it's just like daylight here at Kennedy Space Center, the second five is moving off the path, it is now clear the top. Welcome to the White Rocket Podcast, brought to you by all of our great patrons via Patreon.com. I'm Van Allen Plexico. I'm joined for this episode to talk about Amazon's Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, our season one review, joined by my longtime co-host, John Ringer. Welcome aboard, John. Glad to be here, Van. Very excited to talk about this show with you. Yeah, you and I are longtime Tolkien fans. We've done our annual Lord of the Rings trivia battle every Christmas, kind of a holiday tradition in these parts. And um, I guess we both read the Lord of the Rings books back in what, high school era, kind of? That was certainly for me. Yep. Yeah. And uh, loved the movies. Oh, yeah. I, uh, my, some of my favorite movies ever made. I was so excited when they were made. For sure. Fellowship of the Ring is my number two all time. It briefly had yes. the number one spot until I was able to get the despecialized, restored version of the 77 cut of Star Wars. But yeah, so no doubt about it. Um, now, I've never considered myself a Tolkien scholar, as they say, but but I do try to understand as much of it as is necessary and as I can, right? I've read a number of the ancillary books and, you know, unfinished tales type things. And I've, I've taken a couple of shots at the Silmarillion and, you know, stuff like that. Where would you, where would you place yourself in terms of your Tolkien fandom and knowledge and scholarship? Uh, I mean, I, 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 I've read everything. Um, I've, I've read the Silmarillion a couple of times. I've read unfinished tales. I've read all the appendices and I used to have one of those, encyclopedias of middle earth that you know had people's names and cross references and stuff and so i, I you know i still read the the hot reread the hobbit and the lord of the rings periodically um so i feel like i'm in a pretty good place with this but i'm absolutely not a you know a scholar who can quote kind of this thing happened in, in this uh exact way in the in the ancient history of, of middle earth so and I would always, I would, I would uh, almost posit that in some ways that's a positive if you want to enjoy this show because it seems like the more you know, the more nitpicking you can do. And I don't, I don't mean that in, in any way to attack people that are not happy with it and feel like it's not, you know, it's not matching up with what they, what Tolkien is 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 supposed to be or what was established. That's fine. You can take it. You folks that are watching it can take it however you want to. That's not what we're here to do. I just mean, I think that not knowing some of the things, and, and to be fair, we don't know a lot about this part of the, of the lore, right? The Second Age is kind of, that's one of the reasons sketchy. I think they, yeah, it's kind of sketchy. It's one of the reasons they wanted to do it is to fill in some of the sketchy areas, so. Yes, and, and uh, I, I would, uh, 100% yes on the knowing less is probably an advantage of watching the show. Yeah, I you know I I I had the same thing happen last year watching uh, the Wheel of Time. I read the first book of the Wheel of Time, didn't really enjoy it. Never 
Eh, read the tried to read the second one, just totally lost interest. But I knew that everybody, I, I knew that it was very popular. A lot of people liked it, so I knew it had to be quality. It just wasn't working for me. And so when the TV show of Wheel of Time came along, not knowing very much, I really enjoyed the show. While I know a lot of people that really are big Wheel of Time fans didn't like the show that much. So I'm thinking, once again, the less you know, the better, maybe in some yeah. cases. Because then you're consuming the media on its own terms and not yeah. in a preconceived notion of this is what it should be. Yeah, yeah. So, but again, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. Not in any way yeah. am I, you know, I'm just, you know, everybody can take this on their own terms in their own way. Um, well, the first thing we're going to do is just kind of give some of our own uh, non-spoiler general reactions and thoughts. And so if you haven't seen it or you haven't seen all of it yet, um, you won't be spoiled by details quite yet. But in a few minutes, John and I will go into spoiler mode and really kind of dig down a little deeper. No no pun intended there. For the uh, until we hit the mithril and maybe the ball. I was going to say not too deep. No, There's risks there. There are risks of digging too deep. That is true. So, um, all right. So yeah, we'll let you know when you should bail out. But uh, let's just take a few minutes at the top here to give our general non-spoiler reactions to uh, to what we saw uh, out of these eight episodes. I think the first reaction that you have to have to watching the show is. It looks amazing. They spent an enormous amount of money on this. It looks like a really high-end movie. And not like it doesn't look like a a cheapo movie. It looks like a high-end movie. It is clear they spent a lot of money on people, on sets, on costumes, on special effects, locations. All of that is first class. And you can tell. Well, you know, one of the things that's happened in the last few years is that we now have well, maybe not everybody, but you can if you can afford it, right? We now have 4K televisions which replicate the, the, the resolution of a movie theater screen. And what that means is that, you know, it used to be that the really quality stuff would go up on a movie screen and TV would be much lower, generally, you know, budget, quality, effects, and everything like that. But now they're able to do stuff that looks like a movie first run on television, and it's it's really kind of unprecedented to 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 spend theatrical money on a TV show that never went to a movie theater. I'm surprised, frankly, that they didn't, and maybe they did somewhere, but I'm surprised they didn't debut this as a movie somewhere first, like they do a lot of times. You know, I mean, like the first episode of Battlestar Galactica in 1978 came out in a movie theater first. I'm I'm just surprised they didn't put. Because it would have, it's it's not like people would have looked at it and gone, oh, this is just some TV show. It it there, you know, it's twenty, it's twenty one years after Fellowship of the Ring came out, and it looks, you know, I don't know if it looks twenty one years better, but it looks as good or better as anything yes. in those movies. Yes, a hundred percent. Yes, it fits in. It doesn't look like a bad TV knockoff of some movie. That's right. Right. So. I mean, I, it, you always talk about the uh, the Sci-Fi Channel versions of Dune, right? Yeah, <laughs> the exactly. High school stage production value. <laughs> it is the opposite of that. It is the opposite, of that. exactly. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. It, it is like if the most recent Dune movie had had first run on the Sci-Fi Channel. <clears throat> that's what this looks like. Yes. And um, it's it's amazing. I mean, so what what are your thoughts about TV shows doing this now? Is it is it? I mean, it seems like the decision has been made in recent years, and I think Game of Thrones had a lot to do with this, right? The decision has been made that 
you know, studios are putting a lot more emphasis on stuff that goes straight to television. Well, I think the appetite is there to consume all of it if it's done at a high level and high quality. And you can get a bunch of people talking about your show and writing about your show and podcasting about your show mm. if you do a high quality you know, production. And so I think that is part of it. Um, and I think in general, like people enjoy watching things at home. Yeah. So that's the other part too. There's been a shift in, you know, like because the TVs are better, because you're at your home, like people would rather watch good stuff at home than in the theaters often. I, I mean, I'll be honest. I, you know, I used to go, there was a while there that I would go to the movies like every two or three weeks. And I know there's people yes. that go more than that. And I haven't seen two movies in the theater in like the last 12 months. And it's not because I don't want to. It's not that I'm afraid of COVID or anything. I've had it twice. I don't care. It's it's that um, there's just nothing at the theater that makes me more excited than watching Rings of Power on my nice big TV. That's right. Yeah. So it really is like a, a paradigm shift in entertainment. And I know when those things that are in the theater now, it, you know, in a couple of months, they'll be on my TV and I'll be able to watch them at home. And I'll be yeah. okay with that. That's right. That's absolutely so. Okay, so um, let's look at the show a little bit. Um, the first question, I, and we can give our general reactions and whatever, but my first question to you about it is, um, did you feel like it was slower paced than you were expecting, or is that just what you should expect? For Because I'll be honest, a lot of this season was setting things up. Yes. Not a lot of, I mean, at the end, we knocked some dominoes down, but most of this season was setting the dominoes up and discovery. Oh, that's what that domino is. Oh, that's where that domino is going to go. So was it, was it fast enough paced? Do you think they've already lost some people? What do you think? Um, I think it's a, when you're trying to build a multi-season epic Mm. thing, you can't go a hundred miles an hour at the beginning. You, if you're going to do it the right way and build up satisfying things for a multi-season or epic arc, you have to do some slow at the beginning and some world building and that kind of stuff. And so I was fine with that. Again, I, the first couple episodes especially are a little slow, right? There's a lot of we're telling you about this thing and who these people are and what they do, whatever. And that, and it, because it looks you know, nice and all that. Uh, I was fine with it, but it, it what? But as part of that, it it didn't like hook you instantly, right? Because it's a lot of world building in like the first three or four episodes. It didn't like grab you and be like, oh man, it's sucking you in. Yeah, if it wasn't Lord of the Rings, I wonder how it would have played out in terms of the audience because mm-hmm. a, a lot of it required investment from the audience to just say well, I'm going to hang around because it's Lord of the Rings, and I know eventually they're going to get to stuff that's exciting, and so I'm just going to keep giving it the benefit of the doubt. If it was just generic fantasy show, I I don't know if people would have, you know, just because there was so much building, 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 talking, 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 you know. Well, um, what about, okay, so we're seeing the second age. Let me ask you this, because we've, we've known that for a while, but we haven't really gotten to talk about it. Is this is this a part of Lord of the Rings history you were interested to find out more about this era? Sure, I was fine with that. Again, I, the, there are other things they could have chosen to do, other stories they could have told, but I was fine with this. Um, yeah. Again, there's kind of as we said, there's kind of it's sketchier. There's kind of a blank slate. It's for some of this stuff, so they can kind of go with it and, and do stuff. 
it, I, I'm going to be honest, it might not have been my first choice if I was investing this amount of money, but I understand why they chose it. So I'm, I'm good with it. And is this, is it going the way you might have expected it to or hoped it to? Or, I mean, I mean, I'll put it this way. We've, we've seen stuff that you would expect to see. I mean, I totally expected Numenor, and we got that. I figured they'd find some way to include small Hobbit-like people just because that's part of the brand, and they did, and that's fine. But I mean, like, all the, st- the other stuff, the, st- the stuff that involves, like, the Southlands, uh, the stuff with Galadriel, I'm not sure I was expecting any of that. And that all kind of, and we haven't even touched on all of the plot lines, but yeah. in character. No, that's fair. I, 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 I did not expect all of that. So, but I, but it's part of the world building and the connection of things. And so I was okay with it. Yeah. Um, and then there's the whole Elrond and the dwarves business too, which I mean, again, I guess it's just, it's a combination of characters we don't know at all. And then characters we know, but way before we get to know them. And so they're a little different or a lot different different. people. Yeah. 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 And so it all just to me feels a little alien and I guess it's supposed to, it's a different age. But, um, yeah, it, it's, I'm not sure. I'm just, you know, I, but between the pacing and the alienness of a lot of it, I spent a lot of the time just kind of scratching my head. I was never going to give up on it. It wasn't bad, sure. but it just, it never got me super excited the way that this is the way I described it, right? There's a number of fantasy shows on right now. We're very fortunate. If you like, fan, if you like high fantasy, there's a number of shows. Every time an episode of, from the very beginning, every time an episode of The Witcher comes out, I'm excited. I'm like, oh, yeah, here we go. What's, what's Geralt going to do now? He's so funny. He's wacky. He's great. It's going to be entertaining. He's going to kill some monster and have an argument. It's going to be great. Um, every time Wheel of Time would come out, I'm like, oh, they're already on the quest, right? They're moving. The ball's rolling. Let's go see what's happening to them in this haunted city or whatever. This show, I'm like, okay, more conversations. Okay, so they're sailing somewhere. Okay, there's, oh, another <laughs> well, I, argument with a dwarf. Yay. Well, and, and the other show you did mention is House of the Dragon, which I'm, I'm I watching that and this. Okay, so I'm watching that and this at the same time. Okay, so tell, tell us what that contrast is like because I haven't seen it. Well, no, no spoiler, I, but just kind of like what's it no, like no watching spoilers, those spoilers. But I think that, you know, my wife had a good point about the difference and, and why she actually liked Rings of Power better for her as a viewer. And that is because there are actual good guys in Rings of Power. <laughs> and in House of Dragon, everybody's a bad guy. Okay? Really? Yeah, yes. I mean, there are no... Well, they're Targaryens. I mean... Yeah, but I'm saying... So there's no there's no Jon Snow's and Samuel Tarleys in this season. I'm just going to say that, okay? Okay, there's, all right. So... And so in the Rings of Power, there are clearly people who are good guys. Mm-hmm. And so you can kind of cheer for them and, and, you know, want to follow them or whatever. And then the Rings of Power is just like, it's terrible people doing terrible stuff to other terrible people. And you're like, okay. <laughs> so, somebody did say to me, somebody did say to me, there's all this incest. And I'm like, it's the Targaryens. That's their brand. It would be weird if they didn't have all that. Right. I mean, then. It, it's not the it's not the Starks. It's the Targaryens, no. you know. That's if it. it was the, imagine a Stark show where it's like they all be sitting around being all holier than thou, and John go out and clean the fireplace. <laughs> yes, father, <laughs> for for ten hours, you know. Um, all right. So, any other like non spoilery general stuff we want to get in before we uh, before we sound the alarm? I, I do think the the thing we talked about about the slow build is relevant. And so if you have not watched this show, just prepare yourself and accept that, that that's going to be part of the business 
that it's going to take a while to get into it and there's going to be a bunch of setup. And in my mind, like when I, I think of it of always a comparison to the to the Lord of the Rings movies, right? Mm-hmm. The first half of Fellowship in the Ring is set up. You know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens before anything really happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, profess, there's a, um, I think it's Anthony Drute talks, he describes it as Hobbit business. He says, you have yes. to get through all the Hobbit business to get to the more fun stuff. And that's true. I mean, it, hel- it helps if you enjoy the homespun, you know, wacky Hobbit business, but. One way or another, you got to deal with it. So, yeah, good point. Okay, let's go ahead and get into some specifics now. So, if again, if you haven't watched the show and you and just kind of wanted to get our general reaction and whether you thought we, would, I, I would, I, I guess my my non spoilery verdict is yeah, watch it, but just uh, like you said, know what you're getting into. Don't expect giant battles with Sauron from episode one because and then that's not what I expected. But there's a whole, there's a lot of talking. There's a lot of emotional. <laughs> Yeah, it's just introduction. So yeah, until the last couple, the last couple episodes kind of kick it in the rear end pretty good. So yes. So by the time you get to seven and eight, yeah, it it kind of rolls a little bit. All right, um, all right. So a couple of background things: Amazon paid two hundred and fifty million dollars just for the rights to do this, and what they got the rights to was the last few pages of Return of the King, which is just mind-boggling to me. Um, it's the total production cost is expected to be a billion dollars, most expensive TV show ever, mainly because Jeff Bezos likes it and wanted his own Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. And he felt like Lord of the Rings is like the only fantasy property that could really compete. I mean, Wheel of Time is fine, and they're doing it too. It's an Amazon thing too. But this is the one that could really compete with Game of Thrones because yes. it's the one that's older and more established and has a fan base. Um, they bought the rights to do a 50-hour series. We've only seen eight hours so far. My understanding is that future seasons are going to be at least 10 episodes. Yes. I'm not quite sure why they only did eight this time. but I, What I heard is there was supposed to be 10, and then they shortened it to eight. So maybe some kind of why episode eight's a little rushed in some of the things they yeah. did. We could talk about that. And it may be they're saving those episodes mm. for future, those hours of content for future seasons. Could be some COVID-related stuff, too. That's always a possibility. Yeah. And and um, honestly, if you go back and, you know, it may very well have been that they perceived the same thing. They're not stupid. They perceived the same things that some of us did. And when they looked at 10 episodes, they said, we need to kind of tighten this up. Before we yeah. lose the audience, it may be yeah. that they they drop an hour, you know, two hours of material, another hour of exposition. Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> it could very well be, and I wouldn't I wouldn't blame them. So, um, so this this show is not ratings dependent. More than any other show in the history of TV, it doesn't matter if anybody's watching it; they're going to make it. Yes. We're gonna get it all. I mean, as a Babylon Five fan, I can only imagine the luxury of knowing all five seasons are coming. You know, instead of chewing my fingernails every year. What well, they have the money, they have the network. There's no question about. Oh, is it gonna get picked up again? Right. Like, they own the network, so we're gonna they're gonna push out the content. They own the promotion too. If you've ordered anything from Amazon, the last <laughs> it's on the box. Months, it's on the boxes. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so the Tolkien estate gave Amazon plenty of creative freedom for new characters and plots. That's something I don't think that the the purists really understand. They're like, well, if so-and-so character doesn't exist, well, no, the Tolkien estate says you can make stuff up. You just can't contradict or change anything that already is established. And they've, they've tweaked it a little bit. Well, how do you feel about that in terms of the sacrosanct nature of the of the of the holy scripture versus new stuff. I I get it. 
Uh, and there are things about the changes that bother me, and we can go into those later, but uh, I also feel like they were trying to make a show and they and they took some liberties with it. So I you know, I'm kind of rolling with it for now. Yeah. You you haven't like had to cross yourself and throw holy water on the TV or anything. I, there are times when I'm like <laughs> what what are we doing? Like what, yeah. what happened to this person that exists? So Yeah. Um Tom Shippey, the Tolkien scholar, and I actually know him through he was at st louis he was at st louis university for a while and and i i've known him for a good long time he wrote the biography of tolkien the nice. author of the century uh he said quote it is impossible <clears throat> it is impossible to change the boundaries which tolkien has created it is necessary for the show to remain tolkienian and um i but see that gets into the question of change boundaries change specifics change characters exactly it's never been exactly clear what how much license they have but I mean clearly they've gotten away with whatever they've done so far I don't think that that whichever Tolkien grandson hadn't called them into the principal's office to give him a whipping yet so I guess it's okay a 250 million dollar check keeps clearing so it goes a long way doesn't it yeah um and then finally, the, one of the showrunners, J.D. Payne, told Empire Magazine, there are things in the first season that don't pay off until season five. Quote, we even know what our final shot of the last episode is going to be, unquote. So it is nice that they know where they're going and they have it laid out. It's not going to be one of those shows where they make it up as they go along and it just you hope that they bring it together at the end, you know. Final season of Game of Thrones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean... Again, very similar to Babylon 5, except that with Babylon 5, they thought they were going to be canceled after season 4, and so they squeezed everything into season 4. Season 4 is insane. Season 4 is like the last episode of season 1 of Ring of Rings of Power, and then season 5 of Babylon 5 is like, well, here we are, huh? <laughs> All that happened. War's over. Okay, let's find something else to talk about for 22 episodes. So yeah, it would have worked a lot better if the, you know, the pacing if they'd known this. So that's a luxury. Um and also, what do you think about how this is a, you know, I've, I've made this argument on social media. The Lord of the Rings, as it was done in 2001, 2002, 2003, was to me, that was the last time you can do a, even a fantasy, high fantasy type production, live action, which is mostly white people and guys doing stuff. I'm, I'm glad that Lord of the Rings, the movies were very close ish to the source material that's fine but i don't think ever again in our world and i'm not i'm and that's fine i don't think ever again in the world we live in today could you do that you've got to have a diverse cast you've got to have women with agency and with power it's you can't just make a white guy's show and expect everybody to love it equally it's not fair so what are your thoughts on that uh, again it's a scale thing right if you want to spend a billion dollars on something, you have to appeal to the broadest audience possible. That's the reality. And and also, like, I I just feel like you can't get upset because, like, in my mind, when I read this, you know, scrap in the back of the appendix of, of a book that was written a long time ago, I thought this would, in my mind, I pictured this as a white person, like, okay, but that's because of who you, who you are and how you picture the world or whatever. So I, I don't... I don't have a lot of patience for the people freaking out about that kind of stuff. But I also get like it, 
you know, if you have concerns about, oh, well, you know, why are we making Galadriel the, the core of the show kind of stuff? Like, I understand that, but the reality is, like, it makes sense um, in terms of the story they're trying to tell, and that's fine. But you are 100% correct in terms of this is how it is, and if you're going to spend a million dollars, you have to make a show that appeals to the maximum amount of people you can and that makes them feel included and part of it. Yeah, and there's and there's no reason. I mean, yeah. again, if if the book were written today, it would have it would be yes. more like that. And it's yes. yeah, you're adopting a you're adapting a seventy year old or whatever text, and this is just a different world. And that's and that's that's good. That's a good thing. That's a very good thing. So, all right, we talked a little bit about the overall look and feel, the quality of the production. Any other thoughts about like is it you know did it go beyond what you were expecting, and did you think we'd ever get a TV show that looks like this? No, no, I did not. Again, I, I would go back to you and I in the space like years before the Lord of the Rings movies were made. I was like, we're never. It's never going to be in my what I picture in my mind and we got it and we got it beyond that. And I think this is a continuation of the, the, you know, the sets, the Numenorean ships, you know, the costumes, but also the other thing that's important here is the consistency between some of the look and feel of the show versus the movies. Right. I think the, the trees and that kind of stuff, it just, there's a very, strong focus on consistency of how things look and feel, even to the point of like Howard Shore being involved. Right. Yes. So versus the movies to evoke the movies and to connect this world to that world. I think that's intentional, but it's, I think it's also kind of well done on that side. You know, it's funny when the movies were made, new line gave Peter Jackson's company $300 million to make all three movies, which is, seems like a lot of money until you realize you're producing like, 10 hours in the theater and like 12 hours and you know and edited of of content of big budget or well not big, but of big screen you know big quality movie so when 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 PJ made those movies he called it the biggest low budget movie production in history he referred to Lord of the Rings as a low budget movie production done with more money than usual because they had to do so much that $300 million only went so far, which is kind of hard to imagine to say, but it's true when you're making that no. much movie, you know, with that big of a cast and effects and everything. And it's funny to think that they paid almost as much money for the rights to the appendices of Lord of the Rings as Jackson spent making the Lord of the Rings. It's insane, Truth. but not, not adjusted for inflation, but it's only been 20 years. But um, it, it just also shows the current market for good yeah. intellectual property. Right. And it, and it shows how they're spending way more money making this TV show than they spent making those three movies, which is kind of mind-boggling as well. But it's more it's going to be a lot more hours, too. But it's kind of running around in the same sets, though. It's not like they're all over the place like in Lord of the Rings. Anyway, I don't know. I thought that was interesting, the comparison. Um, what do you think about the, the, the writing, the, the scripts, the, the story so far? I mean, we've touched on it a little bit, but like... Were you ex- would you have preferred different writing going a different way? I mean, I, I don't know. I'm just trying to think in terms of. I, I don't. I, I'm not familiar with the people that are writing it, so I I don't know how it could have been done. Yeah, I I think it's fun. Again, we got a couple of twists at the end. We could talk later about whether we saw them coming or not, um, and kind of how the season resolved itself. But you know, I, I'm fine with the writing and, and kind of the the construction of the story 
um, and telling it to the audience piece. I think it's okay. I, it, to me, it has a very definite writer's room feel in the sense that I can. I, it feels like somebody said, why don't we do this? And they said, well, then there's this problem. Well, let's figure that out. Well, here's how we get out of that. There's, there are numerous places that I've noticed along the way that it felt like they were having to sit down and go, all right, now how do we do this? How do we get out of this? How do we change this situation? And some of it I'm kind of like, eh, you know, but that's, yeah. that's television today, right? It's not like mm-hmm. somebody goes off and writes a Star Trek script by themselves and gives it to Gene Roddenberry. You know, we're in a world now like Breaking Bad type shows where you have 10 guys and girls sitting around a table trying to crack the story together and throwing out ideas. And it's just a different way of doing shows than they used to. And sometimes it results in a feel of like a lot of cooks in the kitchen. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. No, 100%. And I think the worst examples of this are the kind of the post-Endgame Marvel movies, which were written by a committee, reviewed by 10 other committees. So yeah, yeah. Uh, this, this, there's some of that here, but not quite as bad as those Marvel movies. But I get what you're saying, yes. So... Well, again, but there, it, it's also this is well, this is another thing that I've noticed is like, and I've I've talked about this recently is that the the it's a prequel essentially, and one of the major challenges of prequels is that you're trying to tell an interesting story where people don't know what's going to happen, and yet you have to get to a certain destination at the end of it, whether you like it or not. The, you know, the biggest example would be Star Wars, where you want to do interesting things with Anakin and Padme, and yet at some point he has to kill children and become the devil. So you're kind of trapped, you know, and it, it, it constrains you. And that's why, in some ways, it would have been better if they did a first age kind of thing where it wasn't a prequel at all. It was just like, here's these other stories in the same planet, basically. Yeah. And by doing a second age story focused on the rings, you, you know, you are getting this, the, the Star Wars prequel issues. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is interesting to me, too, is the more I watch this show, the more I want to see a show about Morgoth. You know, they keep talking about Morgoth, and I'm like, well, I want to see that show, man. Why are y'all <laughs> on here? Like, Why am I watching this show when Morgoth sounds so interesting? Yeah, I was going to say, that's the big bad. Let's talk about that guy. I know. I mean, it's like, it's like if we're watching, it's like if the only Star Wars we had was um, the dude from the last three. Um, with Oh, crap. Yeah. Han, yeah, I know Han he's Solo's like, son. What, what? Yeah. Han Solo's yeah. son. And they kept saying, oh, but Lord Vader. And I'm like, I want to see the Lord Vader movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren. Yeah, it's like if all we have is Kylo Ren, I'm like, I want to see the Darth Vader movie. Come on. So there's a little bit of that, too. A little bit of that. Um, um, Okay, we've talked a little bit about the changes, but I want to get some specifics. So, and we're going to get into the story arcs here a little bit, too. the, The main thing I want to know is, so how closely are they adhering to the rules of who appears in the second age? Because from the minute that the stranger slash meteor man arrived, everything about him said Gandalf. Yes. Now, but also I never thought he was Sauron. That was ridiculous. He was way too bumbling. Nice to be Sauron. Give me a break. Um, Sauron's not pushing some wagon through the mud. No, (laughs) no. So, um, and making those facial expressions like, oh, you know, so, but, but Gandalf is not supposed to appear in the second age. So is he Gandalf and they're cheating or is he one of the other wizards that we know almost nothing about? Uh, I think it's some combination of the, of both of those things. Probably he's Gandalf, but 
maybe he's another version of Gandalf. I mean, he also like could be Saruman. Right? I I thought about that, but uh, so man. which would be a fun twist, I think. Yeah. Uh, but he's meant to be. He's meant to evoke Gandalf in the way he looks, the way he acts, the things he says, especially the last episode. Yeah. So uh, he and he doesn't appear in the Second Age. So I, I don't know about that. You know, I mean that at that part's like meh. Um, the lore stuff that bothers me more is some of the Gladriel focus stuff. You know, a she's married, and b her brother's not dead. Okay, <laughs> they're in. You know, she has a husband and a brother, and they're in this stuff with her. And so, by making her the Lone Ranger kind of and wiping those people off, that's a again her husband appears in the movies. Yeah, okay. we know he's alive, so we, I'm assuming so, he's going to show up at some point and go, hey, I'm okay. Yeah, so the fact that she's like, but also like, she's, not only is she not married, that at one point she's making googly eyes with Halbrand, it's, it's kind of like, okay. Uh, but also like her brother was kind of her peer in this fighting the bad guy stuff. So um, that part is, you know, that part kind of gets me a little bit. All right, well, let's dig into the... Um, the story arcs then, and we'll talk more about that. So first up, because it's a Tolkien thing, we got to talk about the little furry-footed people, the Harfoots or Harfeet. Harfeet! <laughs> so are are you net positive Harfeet? Are you net negative Harfeet? What is the deal with them, right? I mean, they're not hobbits, but they're kind of like, well, they're like Neanderthal hobbits? Yeah, or? that's exactly the phrase I was going to use. They're Cro-Magnon or Neanderthal <laughs> hobbits. That's They're the pre-hobbits. That's what yeah. they are. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I'm going to be honest. I don't care. <laughs> uh, I, like, I, like Every time they're on the screen, I'm like, eh, okay, whatever. But <laughs> I, I, I do a little bit. And it's I, I understand why we need them in there. That everybody, every character in the show and every group in the show cannot be like a serious, yeah. Oh, the fate of the world's on this conversation kind of thing. You got to have some, you got to have some a connection to the real world and some people who aren't deciding the fate of the planet. They're just trying to figure out what to eat, you know, yeah, and how to survive. And so I, and they represent that part of the the universe. And so I'm, I get that part, but it's also like. From a lore perspective, they're kind of hobbits before they settle down. They were they're nomads at this point, so <laughs> they um, hadn't learned the joys of just sitting in one place and growing the pipe weed and the well because they never because they haven't found a place that's safe. Mm-hmm. Like I think they like some of these places, but they're never safe for long term for them. Mm-hmm. So and and from the seasons and that kind of stuff too. So I, that's a big piece of it. Um, so and you see the. You know the Hobbit behaviors and the way they react to each other, and the and the way they think about the outside world and stuff. Uh, but in but in, the, in terms of the larger thing, like I the plot with them and the different characters, like I I don't, I don't care. Have you figured out where on the map they are? I mean, <laughs> I, I I kept thinking everybody that wasn't an elf or a dwarf was down in like the Southlands, quote unquote. We knew where those were from the beginning. I knew it wasn't Gondor's, so that doesn't yeah. leave a whole lot of you know, <laughs> yeah. That's right. I'm like, okay, but um, you know, obviously Hobbiton and the Shire and all that end up being kind of up in the northwest, more or less. Yeah. So are they up there already, or are they down in? No, the- I I think they're more in kind of. I, I, when they have the scene at the end with the stranger and the, the people who capture him or whatever, I think that's it's supposed to kind of evoke Mirkwood a little bit. 
Okay. Um, okay. So I think they're kind of south of there towards, but but kind of between Mirkwood and Gondor a little bit. So on that on the kind of the eastern side of the map. Um, okay. So, but I think they've kind of roamed around too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they need to get over. I guess they'll have to go all the way around through Rohan and up. Yeah. Across the cross the fords of Eisen and go up. Yeah. Northwest towards what is it? Ere- I mean, um, Iriador, I believe, is what that yeah, uh, yeah. that area is called. Okay, yeah, look at me. Um, so yeah, I, I was. Yeah, I agree with you. I think you can't you can't have nothing but Aragorns and Gimli's yes. and Legolas's. You got to have a Merry and a Pippin thrown in there, and that's kind of what they're uh, what the people with the shrubbery in their hair is for is to <laughs> is to be. Uh, they're not just comedy relief. There's a lot of drama with them, right? There's a lot of pathos yeah. and stuff. Yeah. About- but also, I, I like the whole the shrubbery and the hair thing. I appreciate their whole thing is like nobody knows we're here and we're going to keep it that way. And our safety is built on camouflage. Camouflage. Yeah. They're like so soldiers. The minute there's the hint of a threat, they all just like. Yeah. Yeah. They're rabbits. Yeah. Um, all right. So. Um, let me ask you this: Where do you think the the stranger meteor man thing is going? I mean, is he going to slowly become a wizard? I mean, it seems like he's regaining his wits pretty rapidly by the end of the season after after yeah. not having a clue about anything for a while. Yeah, I think he is gonna. He's becoming connected to the people in the world and regaining himself, and and so I think he is going to kind of discover who he is and how he can do things, and he's become more of a kind of a a mover by the end, more kind of a mover of events and less of a person being pushed along. Kind of. And uh, if he whoops out a blue cloak at some point, I think that'll be a big clue too, right? Cause that's, that's one of the options is that they're like the blue wizards that are never really talked about. Yes. That yes. seems like a huge opportunity for the writers of this show. When you, you know, there are other wizards besides Gandalf and, and Saruman and, um, Radagast. Radagast, the brown. Yeah, you know there's a couple of others, so why not go to town with them, man? I mean, yeah. it's your big chance. So, surprised there weren't two. Um, all right, so we talked a little bit about Galadriel. Galadriel and, um, yeah, I I have to think that Celeborn is, like, chained up in a dungeon somewhere, or he's wandering around lost, or he's... I mean, he he went to get something at the store and got lost, took the wrong train, or well, or something. or in this world they haven't met yet, and they're going to meet and get married at the end of this. I don't know. But but she already said they were married, and he was dead. Yeah. So there you he, go. She, she thinks he's dead. So he's not dead. He's just can't be dead somewhere. He's busy. Yeah. <laughs> he's got stuff to <laughs> he's do. Detained. He is. He's detained somewhere. Yeah. I don't know. Um, there were. There were plenty of the princes of Amber over the years that were detained for years, so this is not unprecedented in terms of fa- high fantasy that that people disappear for a while. Um, the Sauron stuff. While we're talking about Galadriel and her quest, so what did you make of all that? Sauron. Um, I didn't even know. I, I knew that at some point he shows up on Numenor, and I knew at some point he shows up and and there's the ring making, but. And I'm glad they touched on that, but I expected way, way, way more out of him being like the devil in disguise on Numenor. Lure, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't guess we're done with that yet. Maybe he could still go back or something as Anatar or whatever it is. But I just, I, I expected a whole season of him being like the vizier to the ruler of Numenor and dispensing, you know. 
sinister advice that sounds good on the surface but gets them in trouble and you know being kind of more like worm tongue to theoden but in a kind of a good but but looking good like a handsome yeah. you know like he like he was so i don't i don't know what did you think of the old sauron thing i, I just felt like there was more they a lot more they could do with that that's fair and it may be there's more of that coming but i also feel like sometimes his role with some of these things is he it's not that it's more just like he's the pebble that he kicks out the pebble that starts the avalanche and then he leaves. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I guess they just didn't go the direction that I was expecting based on what I knew about his interaction with the Numenorean men, people, and the, um, and the elves both. Because he's just supposed to be a corrupting influence, and I don't. Did he really corrupt anything on Numenor? They were already the way they are. Well, I mean. But the, there's the whole Palantir thing too, right? Yeah. Which is he influencing the the leadership through that thing? Yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah. I'm just I'm I'm underwhelmed with Sauron so far. I I I appreciate some of the stuff they were trying to do with him, but I. I was expecting Satan, and I've kind of gotten slightly annoying Loki. You know what I mean? <laughs> kind of. That's fair. Um, but it's also like he has a long-term plan. Yeah. And he's executing that. Um, and let's be clear. In the big picture, what did he accomplish this season? They destroyed the Southlands and set up Mordor, got the volcano going. which they is did. When, you know, and you've got the... You know, the orcs and his people getting organized down there, oh, yeah. uh, even if they don't know it's for him. Um, and uh, then he he got the elves of the dwarves to work together and forge the rings. And mm. uh, he learned all the secrets of all that stuff. And he kind of messed with the Numenorians a little bit, got them back involved in Middle Earth, but also kind of screwed with their politics a little bit. So, Yeah, it's true. I think if I go back and rewatch the first season, knowing what we know now, I'm going to enjoy his arc more because I I will definitely watch like when, again, giant spoilers here. When Halbrand talks, when I watch it again, I'll be like, huh. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm going to start here. Did you, who did you think was Sauron? And were you surprised when it was Halbrand? Oh, I 100% thought it was him, and I was not surprised at all. I, I did not think it was him. Why is that? Too obvious? Maybe, but also I thought it was Celebrimbor, the elf guy who's like, hey, let's forge some powerful stuff. I was like, <laughs> look at that guy. He wants to make stuff. He's going to make the rings. It's he's, And he was always like, wasn't telling... Elrond, the truth about the Mithril stuff, that was very clear. So I was, I was like, that guy. Well, I, I, I know what you're saying, but I think he highlighted how you can how Sauron can play on the vanity and the ambition of people and make them seem like villains in retrospect because at the time they thought they were doing the right thing because, oh, I know better, you know. And Sauron's like, yeah, yeah, you know better, dude. You should do that. Yes, you know. And then you realize, oh, I've been played for a fool by by the manipulator. Now, I I just thought it was him because the he was, I mean, when he says I'm ruler of the Southlands, I'm like, well, that's Sauron. <laughs> right? I mean, immediately tells us right off the bat. He says, I'm ruler of the Southlands. Bingo. And then you know he's 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 there, on when he started when he was on Numenor and and started like m- messing with people when he didn't have because here's the thing the first like the first two or three episodes of of Halbrand doing stuff 
he was like a slacker. You know, he's like, oh, yes. I don't care. I'm just here hanging out, whatever. You know, this is your business. I'm just going to take some, yeah. I'm just going to go have a snack, whatever. And then he, when he started actually taking an interest in stuff and saying stuff and doing stuff, then I'm like, oh, what's he doing? So that's when it started coming together, I thought, for me. And then, uh, and then of course, when he starts getting interested in the in the making rings and stuff, I'm like, oh. And when he, in fact, he, there was something he said I can't remember now, but there was, oh, 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 he said something about it's a gift. Oh yeah, yeah. When he said it's a gift, you know, and I'm like, well, that's uh, that's his thing, right? He's Lord of Gifts or whatever. So. The, the, yeah, this is the the Sauron you know, method is he's the gift giver. Yeah, and and he gives people gifts, but the gifts turn out to be poisonous. So. Yeah. And you don't see it for a long time, maybe. I think it's important to note for folks that don't know it super well that if you think about the beginning, see, there's this is how much time this story covers, all right? This is how much time. It, it can be confusing because there are some characters that are in all of this, like Galadriel and Elrond are in all of it, and Durin gets mentioned in Lord of the Rings and stuff. So it seems like maybe there's not that much time between what's happening now and Lord of the Rings. You, you, If you didn't know better, you could think it's 20 years or something. You know, you wouldn't know. But understand, at the beginning of Fellowship of the Ring, when they give that flashback to ancient, ancient times where Sauron is in the armor and he's fighting the last alliance of, of elves and men, that all happens after what we're seeing in the Rings of Power right now, right? That happens and, and later. A, a good bit later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that's um, it, it can't it can't be super super later though, because Isildur and Gilgalad and Elendil are all there at the last battle, but they also live a lot longer back then. To be fair, so but they're there, and Elrond is there. You remember? Um, but yeah, there. It, so it's it's after the stuff we're seeing now in the in the show. And it just shows you how many convolutions um, Sauron goes through. That he's 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 what he is in in as, as Halbrand, right? He's an Anatar and whatever. And then later on in the Hobbit movies, you see him as the the the, neuro, the, the necromancer. And he's also, but that's later. But there's there's what he is at the Battle of the at Barad-dûr. There's a, he appears a lot of times in a lot of different guises, and it's it's not always easy to keep those straight chronologically, is what I'm saying. So just understand, a lot of time passes here. Um, Wait, I want I want to put it. He appears as Halbrand in this show. Yes. The other person you referred to is Anator or whatever. Who's Anator? Yeah, the gift to give Lord of Gifts or whatever. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. That I got you. So then, yeah. Then okay. he's then he's Sauron, but he loses, has the ring cut off his hand. Then he's the necromancer as he comes back, and then yeah. finally he's the eye. Yeah. So he takes a lot of different forms as the story goes along. A lot. Um, okay. Then, what about the other South? Oh, go ahead. You have a thought. I was gonna say the only thing about Galadriel, I, I think it's a core thing of this, is her like all-consuming desire for vengeance and, and to get him and to destroy him and i think that is kind of the driving thing of the whole show and the decisions that she makes along the way which we'll we'll get to yeah and it was interesting too i that was one thing i thought was very cool was was when sauron tempts her tries to like seduce her or whatever it comes straight out of the scene from fellowship of the ring where she 100 is once again tempted by the big ring and it's which remember the, the 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 main ring the one ring has a lot of sauron in it 
Yeah. So Sauron himself is tempting her, and then later on, Sauron as jewelry is is tempting her the same way, and she has to be fight the same mental battle over again in Fellowship yes. of the Rings. It's cool. Um, some of the, the the probably the smallest of the plot lines. It's bigger in the first couple of episodes and kind of fades out a little bit. Or the Southlands people and the elf warrior that's there helping them. I I didn't have a clue what any of that was about. Yeah. Well, I mean, in hindsight, that they was set up for you know Mordor creation. Yeah. Um, it's what happens. Yeah, when you I, live in Mordor before they've come in to start building it, right? Yeah, that's right. You're the people that got uh, zoned out or whatever. So, I, uh, it, it was I again. I that whole plot line again. It shows how much we care about it that we don't know any of their names. Yeah. Um, but I, I agree. It was kind of a side thing, and the elves were there keeping an eye out, mm. and then they were being pulled out, which is also like, huh? You're being pulled out right as things go to crap. Like, would it, is that you know really bad? job on your part or is there some hand behind that kind of influencing uh, the decision to pull out kind of stuff? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, you make a good point. They're they're kind of like the folks that lived in Chavez Ravine right before they built Dodger Stadium. That's it. That's it. <laughs> sorry, you you have to go. I'm sorry. We're relocating you to uh, another district um um forcibly. So, um yeah, they really didn't serve much purpose beyond just kind of because I mean, they keep popping up, and we kind of, you know, are supposed yep. to root for them or whatever. But uh, and they, and I guess they were the ones that were fighting the guy that also could have been Sauron for five minutes, right? And he said, "I killed Sauron or something." Who was that yes. guy? And what was that deal? I didn't have a clue there. Again. Okay, so this is good. It, again, orcs or cor- originally elves that were corrupted. Yes. Right, and so the yes. original orcs were literally elves that had been tortured and corrupted. Mm-hmm. And then they were kind of, they created orcs, you know, by spawning them or whatever out of this, uh, based on these kind of corrupted elves. And so that guy that's the leader of them that they, you know, that uh, is leading the orcs in the Southlands, um, he claims he killed Sauron. Uh, we'll see. Is he are he and Sauron buddies? Are they rivals? Is Sauron going to show up and take over, or is Sauron going to show up as just another human in the Southlands to kind of worm his way up, right, and then take this guy back and backstab this guy? I don't know, but they needed there needed to be a leader of the bad guys when Sauron was in disguise, and it's him. Uh, but it's also good because they get into the whole, you know, it, it, this could have been you with the other elves kind of thing too. So. Yeah, they do. Well, there's this, there's a tradition in the live action versions of these that they have to come up with other characters to be the leaders of the bad guys because it can't always be Sauron. And they were trying to hide Sauron for yeah. most of this season. So, you know, you've had um, the 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 you know you had several different orcs that played that role in the Lord of the Rings yeah. movies. You had the one that Aragorn killed. You had the Gothmog or whatever that was attacking Minas Tirith and all. So that wasn't surprising really, uh, and that that kind of worked. Um, I, I gotta say, and I don't have a category here of I don't think I well I do yeah I have a we have a what okay we have a what do you hope to see in season two that there's a I'm gonna I have a couple of things I want to say when we get to that right. um, Numenor a lot of stuff happening it took a while it took a couple of episodes but we got to Numenor was Numenor what you expected and what did you think about the stuff happening there Numenor was cool and again when you get to Numenor and you're there all the time my brain is thinking everything's that doom is coming. Yeah. Right, that's one yeah. of the core things about Numenor is that uh, it's just not going to last forever. Bad things are going to happen. It's Atlantis, basically. Yeah, 
and uh, the, but also the I think the way they set it up with kind of the dying king who's been looking at the Palantir and then kind of has it's kind of messed him up so that his daughter is kind of acting regent queen uh, and then they have kind of the you know the popular elected leader or whatever of the people working under her who's also kind of maybe has his own political agenda mm-hmm. and then there's the like the whole well we can't be pro elf we got to be pro Numenorean kind of thing. I, that was all kind of, I, I, I but I, I agree a hundred percent. I was like, yeah, I don't care about that. But I think the, the way they made Numenor look and feel was very cool because it was like, okay, the people who built Minas Tirith that did some of the other cool stuff in middle earth built this at the peak of their power. So it's gotta be better. I, yeah. I, I thought it looked great. I thought it looked exactly like I would have wanted it to, especially, I mean, I couldn't have asked for more on a television show than that. Come on. That was just spectacular. Yes. The, I guess the thing that kind of makes me roll my eyes about their attitude toward the, toward the elves is that we were back to that flash Gordon trope of all the different little groups don't like each other. And you're waiting for the hero to come in from outside. It's the Lawrence of Arabia trope. It's the flash Gordon trope. You need the outside hero to come in and unite all the tribes against the big bad. And I'm just, I'm so tired of that. (laughs) It's, it's, it's just been done so many times. I'm like, why can't they all just be getting along? And then we see Sauron cleverly turn them against each other rather than they already hate each other. I mean, it just, uh, I don't know, but but I, I also think it's very telling. Like the Numenorians got to this place because they partnered with the elves, and then they're like, "We don't need them." Yeah. Like, okay. Well, that's yeah. Well, there's <laughs> there's the stuff that was in the lore, right, in the books about how they kind of become arrogant and. But my understanding, it was much more dramatic, right? Wasn't it that that Numenor ultimately like they decide they can sail to heaven or whatever, or they can sail back and take over and everything. And they're just too big for their britches and stuff. Yeah. I guess. There's some of that. Yes. So that's still coming, I guess maybe. Um, yeah. What is the deal with the Palantir by the way? I mean, it, what is he seeing? Is he, I guess he's seeing the fall of the Island and everything. He, and, he's seeing the doom and it's driving him crazy because hmm. he sees the past, the present and the future. And I think he, it's, you know, Sauron or whoever has one and is using it to influence him uh, to drive the leaders of Numenor mad. So. Yeah. They well they did that to Denethor later on. Yeah, too. exactly. It, it's it's a and that's why it's another cool thing of the tie between the movies and the shows is same tool, same result. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, we haven't talked about the odd couple. Do 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 the uh, Elrond and Durin, I guess, right? Durin Junior. Lil Lil Durin. And that's funny to say about a dwarf. Um, by the way, the guy that plays Elrond also played Ned Stark, the younger Ned Stark on Game of Thrones. So that was an interesting because I, I, with, with the ears, I never would have noticed it, you know, because he looks so different. But um, the whole now I got to say, probably the other than Numenor, the the location that blew my mind the most in terms of having just throwing money at the screen was Moria. Oh because yeah, hundred percent. Moria is trashed like it's had a frat party in Lord of the Rings, but Moria in this is the greatest underground city on Earth as it's supposed to be, and it looks really, really cool. I was impressed. No, it looks spectacular. It is so beautiful. It's so cool, clever. The way things are organized and done, um, and it is. And you see the dwarves in their kind of power and majesty in this place. They're not like scraping by like they are in the later yeah. uh, movies and stuff. And so you see them at, at kind of the peak of their abilities here. And it, it's very impressive. 
And I, I'm going to be honest, like, I love Durin in this show. I think he's funny. I think he's a good actor, a good character. Mm-hmm. I like his relationship with Elrond. I like his relationship with his dad um, and his wife. I think there's good stuff there. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I just appreciate when he's on the screen. Yeah, yeah, the, that that relationship. But because I think in I think that that's the most fully realized relationship of anything on the show is they because they they sort of tease each other, they have animosity at first, they have a genuine affection that comes through, they try to help each other, they get in trouble, you know, helping each other. There's there's a lot of depth and layers to that more than probably any other, I think probably any other relationship yes. on the whole show. And that makes it work. Um, plus, they're both characters that we know about coming in. We kind of know where this goes. And there is, as with so much on this show, there is that tragedy approaching... This is one of the things about the show overall, but yes, about Durin specifically that I appreciate, which is the – and it's part of the danger of the prequel thing. is like you know bad things are coming. Yeah. Part of the the tragedy of seeing Mori at its peak is like, man. you know. But also he – one of the reasons he digs for the Mithril is to help his friend. It's not some selfish desire for glory or making cool Mm -hmm. stuff with it. It's like I need to do this to help my friend. And and to save him. And so I think that kind of I like that. I like that reasoning and that kind of build toward the tragedy. You know, it made me think when you said that um, I you know, they said that they know the very last shot of the last episode. I can think of two possibilities. This is just guessing. So it's not spoiling anything for anybody. There's two possibilities. Either you stop short and the last episode is Sauron putting on his helmet to go out and face the the war of the last alliance or the last scene is Isildur with the ring inside Mount Doom turning around and walking away while while Elrond is like Isildur no and or something along those lines I don't know how much they want to overlap the movies, but the ultimate end of the story we're watching now is when Isildur takes the ring and doesn't throw it in the volcano. That's the end, that's the end of this story. I, I, but see, I think they can stop before that, and it could just be like, okay, he's got the one ring. He puts it on his finger. He sits on the throne. The nine are with him with yeah. their rings, and he's like, it's coming together. Okay. Yeah. That. Oh, all right, I'm going to go ahead and say this then. Um we're going to talk in a minute about any other things that you want to see in season two. I don't know when they're going to do it, but I want to, we've, we've got the three elf rings now, but that's all yeah. I'm looking forward to meeting the nine Kings of men and seeing them get corrupted by getting the, the, the men rings a hundred percent. And, and especially the witch King of Angmar. Yeah. That should be like a super fun character unless they screw it up is the witch King of Angmar. Yes. So, that'll be fun. Um, the only other plot line we haven't talked about really is uh, Celebrimbor and the Erigian, uh, Ir- Erigian, however you want to pronounce that. All the stuff involving making the rings. Did you expect them to be making rings by the end of season one? I'm surprised. The show's called Rings of Power, man. Yeah, it is. Um, so at some point, you got to make some rings. <laughs> but also, I think the, you know, in in the books, this to be clear, the Elven rings were made last and separately, not first. Right. So, but this way, the way they told it makes more a, sense to me. I mean, it yeah, works. But this way. a, they get the Mithril 
you know, because of Durin's friendship. Mm-hmm. And B, he helps Celebrimbor figure out the alloy stuff, uh, how to out and how to make the rings to, you know, to, to do it. And then, but also then the rings get forged, but he knows all the secrets. Mm-hmm. He knows how to do it now. And they were deceived. Mm-hmm. You know, the rings were forged. They were, but they were de- deceived. <laughs> yeah, and so in the process of making the rings, they were deceived. And he knows all the secrets now. And he's going back to set up his forge and do some business. And, and so the thing that I, I, I want to weep from this into the season two and future stuff, because my question is, Will he continue to look like Halbrand mm-hmm. and go meet with the with the human lords, which is possible, mm-hmm. maybe. But we got to have seven dwarven rings too. Could there be a dwarf version of Sauron which shows up, which is friendly and helps them do stuff? <laughs> Hi, I'm Dumbledore, the famous <laughs> dwarf forger. Let's make some yeah. rings, boys. Let's oh, go to work. Let's go. Yeah, um, yeah. That. Um, well, who who are those nine men? Who are those nine guys? They were once men, taken by Sauron's power. I love. I'm just. I'm really looking forward to the Nazgul, the, the Witch King. But yeah, you're right. The the seven dwarf lords. We don't even know that there are seven dwarf lords. So I'm not sure where they're coming from to get the. I mean, well, we, we've seen one dwarf lord. Yeah. Oh sure. Um, but they don't ever get. What happens to we? We know we know the least about the seven dwarf rings, yes. right? They're not even yes. mentioned really in Lord of the Rings. After they're mentioned, as exist, they exist. Other than that, but obviously, like the rings were made, they were distributed, and then they were corrupted. Mm-hmm. And part of the dwarves' fall from power is that. Yeah, yeah, but we just—that's really talk about you know filling in the spaces. That's something they can really work with because we, yes. as far as I know, we know virtually nothing about what becomes the seven. And I mean, clearly, you know, if if the Elven rings preserve the world as it was and keep it from fading, the seven dwarf rings certainly didn't preserve any of their places because they lost Moria entirely, and they have to go get Bilbo and Gandalf to help them get back uh, the Lonely Mountain. So it it's didn't a, work at all. They're pretty worthless. 100%. It, it, but there's going to be it's going to be like a again a gift that seems great at the beginning. So there's yeah. going to be um, for both the men and the dwarves there's going to be some early returns like man we got these rings and these are awesome. We're kicking <laughs> ass. We 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 this That's, is great. We're oh. we're on the path to greatness. And then uh, it all goes to crap. So there's going to be some kind of upward trajectory before the rug is pulled out from under all of them. I here. I, what about this? Because obviously Sauron's going to need more mithril if we assume that all the rings are made, including it. Um, what about if Sauron says, you know, give me a supply of mithril and I'll make you guys some rings too. And then after... Yeah, because you can't let the, just the dwarves have... You can't let just the elves have rings. That right. would be terrible. That would be terrible. You guys need some too. And the dwarves are like, sure. And then El, uh, Sauron packs up his pack of mithril and leaves and leaves them their seven rings. And they open up and they're like, they're freaking plastic, man. <laughs> no, no, it's even worse because they are the real deal. You yeah, know, that's part of the deal. They trade mithril for real rings of power and they got real rings of power except... They don't really do anything. They were apparently. deceived. They don't, yeah. they don't do squat. Well, yeah, they do um, real stuff. That's the thing. They have power. They do real stuff. They just got strings attached. Yeah, yeah. And he's going to start pulling the string in. And then, and then you're just like sitting around Moria going, well, I don't know how that worked out. And you hear bang, bang, bang. And you go and open the door and the Balrog is down there. 
guys, I'll be taking over now, so you want to go ahead and get out of here, because this is my house now. All right, so on the future things to see, yeah, are we going to see the Fallen Moria and the Balrog destroy the place? I would have said no, except that we saw the Balrog. <laughs> we I, actually saw same, him. Same. I, I was like, they're not actually going to show that. and then, But because they showed him, and I... But also, I really liked the way they told the legend about where Mithril comes from mm. and how it's related to the original fight against the Balrog, um, which I had never read or heard that before. Maybe, I don't know if they made that up or that's in yeah. the book somewhere, but I appreciated that. So it made the connection to the Balrog more logical to me instead of just like he was in the same place as the stuff they were digging for. Right. They just happened to run into him and woke yeah. him up and everything like Godzilla <laughs> did. Um, yeah. And, and by the way, y- you know, the nickname of the Balrog is Durin's Bane. Yes. So when you're yeah. Durin, uh Oh, <laughs> could be a problem coming a hundred percent. But also like it, in high, this is the other part of the tragedy thing. His dad is right. Oh, Thinking yeah. for that stuff's a bad idea yes. on many levels. Oh yeah, I always enjoy stories where the, the your your rooting interest is with the person clearly doing something bad, even though they don't think so, and the person that's kind of the adversary is actually right, right? Because yeah. it puts you in a it puts you in an emotional and moral bind where you want to root for the good guys who are doing the bad thing accidentally, and you want to be against the guy that's saying don't, even though he, you know he's right. I love that. It's a really, it's a, it's a, it's a tug of war. And it's, again, another reason I like Durin and I like what they do with Moria and his dad, because his dad is that opposition person. Yes. His dad's right. It's a mm-hmm. terrible idea. And then Durin, A, digs at Mithril, which leads to the forging of rings of power, and B, unleashes the Balrog. That's a couple of giant L's for that guy. It is. It is. And then I'm thinking if he'd left, been left alone, he then would have dug up uranium. They'd have atomic bombs raining down the middle of Earth. So he just needs to leave it alone, man. Leave it alone. Um, all right. So any any other plot lines or characters we want to discuss before we kind of get into our final uh, segment here? Yeah. Now let's go to season two. Let's go. All right. So over, so your overall rating for season one, let's say on a – we'll do it like Andy and I do the Babylon 5 show. We do on a scale of one to five – or zero to five, and you can use point five. So compare, like, compared to how you were expecting, how would you rate this season? I, maybe my expectations were too high. Like I – you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I expect, I expect a lot yeah. for the amount of money and the oh, amount yeah. of the, the source material. So on that side, maybe I was a little disappointed. And because of the slow build thing, uh, you know, maybe I'll get a three and a half. Yeah. That's, like, about, again, right. I, that's about where I, I could would go. see later seasons going up. Yes. Yeah. I think three and a half is fair because I would put it this way. I would say that some of the things were more like a two. Yes. And some of the things were more like a four. Yes. Maybe even a four and a half in a few places. And it all kind of averages out. I mean, I think the look and feel. The actors, all of that, four or better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, that is top-notch stuff. Yeah, and then some of the stuff that we had to kind of sit through to get to get on with it, it's closer to a two. So, yeah, three and a half sounds good to me. All right, um, I, wait, I have to ask you a plot question before we keep going. Yeah. Galadriel knows Halbrand is Sauron. They're in the elf place. They're still forging the rings. She doesn't <laughs> tell anybody... Okay, she lets it continue and lets him get away. Uh, and doesn't tell anybody later. Oh shit! 
Halbrand was Sauron. Anything he touched, like, don't use that. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't use this recipe for the rings because he clearly was evil. But it's also because she hunted him across the world mm. and then spent whatever, a couple of years traveling with him and actually being attracted to him. Mm-hmm. It, it's a gigantic, terrible look for her. Do you know what I'm saying? And and so I, I feel like the only reason for not telling everybody is because it's just like such shameful thing for her to know. I was so I was searching for the enemy so hard. I didn't see him when he was two feet away from me all the time. I couldn't recognize evil when it was there. And then she's like, well, if I kill him later, nobody will need to know. I, I'm going to have to go back and watch. I'm going to watch the whole season over again. But I, everything was kind of coming fast and furious at the end, and it didn't register with me. But but as you describe it, yeah, there well, there were several things in the last episode that while we were kind of being distracted by the nice, shiny, exciting revelations, yeah, there's stuff where you're going, uh, wait a minute, why is, yeah. And again, we're back in the writer's room trying to fit everything into the box that we have to fit it all into. So, no, that's true. I don't I don't know. I there's a lot of things that she did. I'll say this though. I really enjoyed her as a character for most of this season because I thought that she did a great job of portraying this sort of obsessed semi uh, single-minded warrior mm-hmm. out to avenge her loss and you know and it, track down the bad guy. I thought that was great. That was like one of my yes. favorite things it, about the show. And because elves live for thousands of years, she had the long-term perspective on this I'm hunting the bad guy thing. She's like, well, some humans are going to come and go and bad stuff's going to happen, but I'm going to keep going and I'm going to get him eventually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I really appreciated that a lot. I liked it a lot. Um, So, all right, what about season two then? I said I want to see the Witch King of Angmar. We may not get all nine of of the... of the humans that turn into Nazgul eventually, but I want to at least get some beginnings of them. I want to see, I want to start to care about them either in a good way or a bad way before they get tempted and all that. I could see a lot of temptation going on in season two. What do you, what are you looking forward to in season two? Well, the other thing I thought about is what, this was the elf ring season. What if there's a dwarf ring season and then a human ring season? Ooh. Well, that's that's true. It, no, okay. If they want to do all of season two and just be like the dwarves and stuff, that's fine because we'll know it's still coming. Yeah. And then again, you could be introducing the humans because clearly they're going to be doing the Gandalf figure stuff. Uh, and, and they they aren't going to do it as you know, hardcore as I'm saying, but I'm just thinking about at the end, what if at the end of each season, a group of rings is forged? Yeah. Well, they've got 42 episodes left to fill. So if you look at it from that perspective, I can see why they went as slowly as they did with this season, Mm -hmm. because they got a whole lot of space left to fill. And I'm not sure how much story they have. They covered a lot of ground in eight episodes. Yeah. In, in in hindsight, right? I mean, at the time, it didn't feel like we were covering that much ground. But, I mean, my gosh, by the end of eight episodes, we've got Mordor, we've got Sauron, we've got the Elf Rings, we've got all this stuff has happened. I'm like, what's going to be going on in, like, the middle of season three now? Yeah, so again, Gandalf figure, Journey of Discovery, I think that's going to be a big season two thing. He goes to Rune and, and maybe, probably meets with some other blue wizards and learns about himself and his power and how to control it and stuff. Um, and then, uh, you know, the beginning of maybe the dwarves doing their thing, but also some introduction of other human 
figures, and we still have the Fall of Numenor to come. That's true. And the forging of the other rings and the Balrog thing. I think those are all yeah. kind of big epic things that are going to happen at some point. Yeah. Yeah, they have a lot more. They do have some more big things they can squeeze in. And if they continue the pacing of the first season, I guess they can get it all in and still not um, not make it feel like they're cramming it all in. So, yeah, interesting. So I made a note that as I was kind of watching the show that it was really episode five, I thought, where they – so about halfway through, it felt like they suddenly started taking advantage of things like they started using the map a little bit. Yes, yes. And you could kind of get a sense of where everybody was. The beginning, I didn't really have a sense of that. Um, like, again, at the beginning of this – at the beginning of this series, this season – it was everything was so different from what we yes. know that it was just not they didn't even make an effort to explain it and that's probably smart yeah. they just kind of said you're in this forest oh here's this city you know here's these dwarves yeah. you're in middle earth you don't need to know more than that yeah just stay tuned you'll it'll all become clear and it and it did so uh but they started using the songs more um they started uh showing the traveling, like using the map mixed with the travels and stuff, the music, all of that just kind of made it more. And the, and the, and the music of, of, yeah, of, of, of shore and everything. Um, okay. Any, any last thoughts? I mean, I feel like we've kind of hit most of the things we wanted to cover. Um, no, I think we have, again, I think, um, in some ways it might be an easier to digest show. Like we talked about at the beginning, if you haven't read and studied all yeah. this stuff and you're just like, Hey, Cool adventure show, kind of like the movies. Want to see that? If you're, you know, more on the hardcore Tolkien scholar, and there's going to be points where you're like, wait, what? What? What about? You know what I'm saying? And you have to, and to, to enjoy the show, you have to let a little bit of that go, and that's hard for some people. I get it. Um, but I also think, <clears throat> I think they did some stuff that's fun and creative, and I enjoy being in this world again and seeing these things. I really am curious if they brought in test audiences and, and showed them 10 episodes and they said, it really drags, you need to tighten it up. I'm wondering if yeah. there's a bunch of stuff on the cutting room floor that they took out to tighten this season up and and it I, and this is what we got. I, I, I think you're 100% right with that because season or episode eight seems very rushed. And I feel like they were going to do maybe 10 and then they're like, no, let's say that. And they crammed a bunch of stuff of the reveals into episode eight. And it's a little faster than it needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so, yeah. So, but I mean, I, it, 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 it but it certainly did pull me in more because I was much yeah. more excited about this show after the last couple of episodes than I was the first three or four. I was the first Absolutely. three or four, I'm like, man, but you know, as much again, as much money as they're putting behind this thing, they're gonna listen to reactions, and they're gonna. Mm. I don't know how much they're gonna have. I don't know how much time and, and ability they have to change season two. I mean, we don't even know if they're where they're if they're working on season two yet, or they already did. They're that. they're hundred percent working on season two, and I think it's moving along. Uh, give me keep going, and then I'll tell you where it is. Well, and yeah, and just the idea that they can take the reaction from the audience and know what they need to maybe punch up and, and maybe bring in a different writer or two, or, you know, again, not that it's bad, but just things that can make it more appealing because yeah. whether we liked it or not, there were a number of people that had serious problems with it, either on a pacing scale or on a uh, fidelity to Tolkien scale. And when you combine people that thought it was slow with people that thought it was an insult to Tolkien, 
that's taking a sizable chunk of your audience and making them go, eh, you know, so yes. Yeah. They need to do something. No, they are, they're just filming season two now. Okay. So it's a, it's not close. That's the other challenge for them is like, it's not coming out next month or anything. So right. it'll be, be a, a year while. at least. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing with shows nowadays. You get few episodes <laughs> and you have to wait longer, but in the meantime, we'll probably get a new Witcher season. We'll get a new Wheel of Time. We got other stuff coming along. What was the other? Didn't you mention there's another show I'm forgetting about? Completely? House of the Dragon. House of the Dragon. Yeah, I have to watch that. I know. I'm gonna just haven't had a chance yet. We're we really are living in the platinum age now of television, where yeah. there's just so. Yeah, there are shows. <laughs> you and I lived through the dark ages, and we now did. we're in the gluttony age. <laughs> we lived through the Nicholas Hammond Spider Man and the and the you know the six million dollar man was the greatest thing of all time. The, the Lou Ferrigno Hulk. Lou Freedom Hulk, yeah. Now we're just like I said, five, even five years ago, there are shows that I would have been super excited about that I'm not even watching now. Yeah, because I there's just too many other things. I mean, I put yeah. off I put off She Hulk for like a month. I put off Ms. Marvel for like two months. I haven't yeah. even watched House of the Dragon yet. Whereas you know, I'd have been doing somersaults a couple of years ago for these shows. So that's right. It's amazing. It really is incredible. All right. Well, that's our look at season one. We we talked it. We we idly joked about doing weekly coverage of this <laughs> series, but I think that we've done it justice in an hour and fifteen I, minutes or twenty minutes. I agree. We didn't need to do a deep dive, especially about the first two or three first episodes season. where yeah. it was slow pacing. That would have been those would have been tough. Yeah, it would have been tough. Yeah. Now we reserve the right, as we did with Game of Thrones, as the show picks up along the way, we can come in and do more 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 occasional episodes or even weekly but we'll just see so all right we'll get on out of here for another episode and we will return when the next uh, big thing comes along uh, john thanks for joining me this morning thanks babe This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.